Day by day, he will keep us through a lifetime, and he shows that in the lives of his saints. We have that recorded for us in his word. This morning, we turn to Genesis 49, as we see the end of the life of Jacob and the response of Joseph and his brothers to that death of their father. We look at the emotions that come with living in a fallen world, with the reality of death in our experience. We lose uh, loved ones, we from generation to generation, in our culture, we try to to kind of push death off to the extremes, to the sidelines. We we don't want to think too much about it, and yet the Bible sets it before us again and again. And here we come to a rather lengthy uh, account of Jacob's not only Jacob's death and burial, but his uh, the, the the grief that accompanies that. Uh, that death, and then uh, Joseph returning to Egypt and continuing on, which is what we're called to do as well, though it is sometimes difficult and takes time, as we're going to see this morning. But day by day, the Lord keeps us. I'm going to direct your attention to verse 29 of Genesis 49. That's where we're going to begin this morning as we read, we listen to God's word this morning. This is the word of God. Then Jacob commanded them and said to them, to his sons, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, they shall bury, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph his brothers and his father's household, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days." When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named 
Abel Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of, at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So far the reading of his of God's own holy word, may he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear congregation, we come to the end of Jacob's life. He's on his deathbed and then he is, uh, he dies in this uh, passage that we've just looked at. We'd expect maybe a short summary of that and yet we get a rather lengthy description of that. And we see that in scripture when, when looking at the death of, uh, of some of the other saints. We see the the description of what takes place, there's, there's a grief that surrounds death and burial as well. And so this is instructive for us. Increasingly, as our culture doesn't, doesn't really know what to do with death, we've been kind of uh, uh, yeah, numbed to it. There's so much violence and so much death on TV and in movies today, we just kind of, we just become numb. We think, well, it's this, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? It's been noticed that we privatize death. It used to be that, that people would die in their homes surrounded by loved ones. Now they die in a hospital and their bodies are taken away and, and perhaps we see the body after the, uh, the, the uh, mortician takes care of the, the body and we talk about what we're going to do for the service if we're going to have a service. Our culture is not prepared to know how to go through this, this whole idea, this whole reality, I guess is what I should have said, to, of death, right? We have diets and exercise plans and surgeries to deny that we're aging, to reverse the effects. And death has been removed from the place in our lives that the Bible would give to it. And... We then don't think about it and we don't prepare for it. If I asked for a show of hands today, who, who here thinks about dying? Probably not too many hands would go up. And I don't mean to be morbidly introspective on that or to say, oh, I'm trying to think of how to die. If you are having those thoughts, I want you to come to either myself or one of the elders so we can talk to you about that. That's not what I'm talking about. But the fact that we're thinking about dying or living in such a way that we know that we're not here forever and that we're called to live a certain way. Those are important things for us to think about. That's why death is set before us. It's, it's set before us so that we recognize that we make the most of our days. If I asked for a show of hands how many of you will die, I would expect most, if not all, the hands would go up. And then I'd want to know who didn't put their hand up and why not. It's not a welcome subject, but it's a reality for us. And so this morning we want to look at this, how to move from grief to joy. The title originally was On Death, Dying, uh, Grief, and Joy. But I just put it to how to move from grief to joy. The Bible makes much of death. It's not ignored. It's not written out of the story. It's, the old, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's a part of life. 
Not a welcome part, but we can't ignore it, nor do we want to miss how we are to think about it and how we are to prepare for it and how we are to go through it when we experience it. When Jacob died, Joseph grieved greatly. This great man of faith, right? Now we want to say, now wait a minute, what's up with Joseph? Is, he, is this a moment of weakness? Is this a moment of, a, of little faith where, where Joseph doesn't uh, keep his emotions in check? Well, that's not how the Bible presents grief. It, it talks about grief and it talks about loss and what that means. Maybe it troubles you that Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Maybe you think Joseph's faith falters here. But grief in the face of death is, is not dismissed by the Scriptures, not dismissed by God. I've heard well-meaning believers tell the grieving that they simply need to get past it, ask God for stronger faith, and get through it. Now, there might be time, a time when that Advice that counsel is necessary, an honesty that helps a person to see the, the truth as we're going to look at toward the end of the message of how we can get beyond death and grief. But we also need to be careful about not letting people grieve. The loss of a loved one, there's a connection, there's a bond, there's, a, there's experiences, there's, there's so many memories attached to that. Jesus wept over the effects of death on the lives of those he loved. One should not feel guilty for grieving at death. When the emotion of grief settles in, we shouldn't feel guilty and say, Oh, what's wrong with me? Why is my faith so weak? Joseph did not have a weak faith. He was a great example of faith. He's not sinning here or failing those around him by grieving the death of his father. I think what we need to remember is that grief is something that we would, we would expect in a loss of a loved one. I think we also need to recognize on the other side, let me say this, that we are fallen in all of our ways. We're fallen in our thoughts. We come out of the womb not thinking properly, not analyzing properly. We come out of the womb not choosing properly, making, gravitating toward wrong choices. We don't know how to feel properly. Our emotions are mixed up. We read about celebrations that ignore the reality or the finality of death. And I think you know of Examples where funerals just become parties. I remember this is a long ago, maybe a decade or two ago, I read a, about a funeral of a well-known chef down in New Orleans. And what they had was they put him in a, in a silver-plated or gold-plated rotisserie and they, they, they wanted to have a celebration of life. That was what they did for the funeral. And, and, they, and that's what he said. He said, uh, uh, we want to we live it up. Uh, his statement was, let the good times roll, and so they intended to keep it that way. I was, when I was looking for that story again, I came across a number of other strange ways of, of having funerals, and one of them was a, of a family that had their, 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 their son 
uh, propped up in a chair with a game controller in his hand, staring at a television and, the, the, with the, and, and another television with the Boston Celtics on constant repeat because this is what he liked to do in life. Now, I don't bring those up to, to, to unnecessarily get us to think about all these strange uh, experiences, but that's strange, brothers and sisters, to, to think about that, to pretend as though uh, th- th- they're just living on. They're, this is just, they're, they're just doing this now wherever they are. It's a strange way to, to have a service. And I, I, think, I think I'm safe to say that in many instances, it's just a denial of the end. Or it's not thinking about the end. It's wanting to remember how the person was when they were alive and not thinking about the fact that they're now dead and that there is no more opportunity to repent and to to turn to the Lord. Our emotions are mixed up as well in our fallenness. We don't think upon the gravity of death, the finality of it, thinking of how we should prepare. Who really wants to think about it? wants to think about death, and yet here the Bible sets it before us. God sets it before us again. And God in his, in his work of sanctification is teaching us how to live, but he's also, he's also sanctifying us, preparing to teach us how to, to face death. How do we grieve loved ones? How do we prepare? How do we live with, an, with a sense of, of the brevity of life? I remember studying Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, that, that well-known New England preacher, from some centuries ago, he had all these resolutions. I just want to read a few of them to you as you think about uh, what is it that I, how is it that I want to live as I prepare to die? Resolve never to lose a moment of time, but improve it or to use it in the most profitable way I possibly can. That was one of his resolutions. Resolve never to do anything which I, would, I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve that I would li- will live so as I wish I had done when I come to die. That is, with no, re- no regrets about missed opportunities or pursuing things I shouldn't pursue. Now, think about those things that we prioritize. Children, what do you prioritize? What do you think about? Perhaps it's toys. <laughs> if you were anything like me when I was a kid or, or, or maybe when you get a bit older, uh, 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 okay, I'm showing my age. It was a, it was a boom box, right? Now everybody's got their own phones, and that's just so antiquated. But what, what, did you, what do you look for? What do you set your sights on? Or young people, what, did you, what do you value? Maybe it's a new phone, or parents, you value a new car or house, and pursuing these things, which are, which, some of which, I'm not denying the necessity of these things, but they become obsessive. We become obsessed with them, and we become focused on them to such a degree that. We aren't focused on living for the Lord on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. What is it that we ought to pursue? Love, right? How do I, how do I love my wife? How do I love my husband? How do I, how do I care about my coworker? How do I show that, that classmate that, that, they're, that they're important? That teacher that I respect them? How do I serve others rather than think only about my th- my wants and my desires. God is sanctifying us that we would 
think properly, that we would choose rightly, that we would grieve, that we would express our emotions more broadly, but in this context this morning in grief, that we'd express our emotions in, in, a, in a way that is biblical. How we cheer, how we celebrate, how we grieve, all those emotions. We celebrate, shouldn't we? We should celebrate godly marriages. We can support a sports team. We can support our own children without tearing the head off of the referee. Maybe in our heads, not actually. We can, we can grieve at funerals because of the loss. There's good and honest emotion, and God works that in us while we live. Grief is present in a fallen world. Paul says we groan with all creation under the sad effects of sin. Now, the restraint and the check that Scripture puts on that emotions is this, that, we're, that, our, that our emotion, now again, talking in, in, in grief, particularly this morning, that, that it doesn't, that it doesn't uh, uh, descend into despair and to hopelessness. When Paul talks to the Thessalonians, what does he say there in 1 Thessalonians 4? He says, we do not grieve as those without hope. Right? So we don't, we don't grieve it to the point where it becomes despair. Death, as one pastor has put it, is transitional, not terminal for the believer. And so we can remember that. We'll talk more about that in the second point this morning. But grief is normal at death. Bonds have been made. Closure is necessary as well. Funerals should be held. We should never have the attitude of, well, let's just get this over with. As painful as it is, it's, it's not, let's just get this over with. So I was talking to someone the other day about how COVID made that a reality where there was, where there was death and there was burial without any, without any service, without any closure. And how difficult that is for family members still to this day. Well, look then again at even the example of the Egyptians. We're not just talking about the Hebrews here now. We're talking about the Egyptians or the people of God. We're talking about the, Hebrew, uh, the Egyptians. What do they do? There's a procedure for mourning for them. They mourned for Jacob for 70 days. Now, if you, if you don't know, it, rather interestingly, how long did they mourn for a pharaoh? 72 days. This was quite an amazing uh, 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 honor bestowed upon Jacob. Only two less days of mourning for Jacob than for a pharaoh upon his death. These people cared for Joseph. They, they loved Joseph. They, had a, 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 they wanted to, to show their kindness and their concern for Joseph and the death of his father. They, let, they called for 70 days of mourning. And then they embalmed Jacob's body as he uh, requested so that he might be prepared for his burial in Canaan. He doesn't go directly to Pharaoh. That, just by way of an aside, is that commentators will say it's because he was in mourning that he was considered unclean, so he speaks through the household of Pharaoh uh, to the Pharaoh, asking for permission, not allowed to go into his sight at that point. That's what we, how we understand why he didn't come to the Pharaoh personally. But uh, th- th- 
Pharaoh hears of, of what, what Joseph requests, that his father had made him swear that he would take his body up and bury him uh, in the land of Canaan, and Pharaoh permits that, and he sends his whole household with him. You start adding it up. I was, I was reading some commentators on this. There's thousands of people going along, thousands of people on this funeral procession. This is a state funeral that is really second to none in all of the Old Testament, This is a significant event. This isn't something we just pass by without reflecting upon God's work in bringing this saint to the land of promise, as he has said, and to remember that when God speaks a promise, he will keep it. And it will be glorious. It will be wondrous. It will be beyond what we could possibly imagine. Jacob knew that his son was going to put his, close his eyes with his hands. We see that back in chapter 46. But how much greater, grander is this whole process as Joseph goes up with the body and thousands of people accompany him. And the Canaanites see this and they say, wow, this is, this is a tremendous display. A tremendous grief. A week-long, declared then another week-long funeral there in Canaan. a teaching moment for us in our emotions. When the Bible records funerals, the mourning goes on for days. Our emotions ourselves are twisted in our culture today. We see these things as mere formalities. We put on something external. Maybe we say, got to go get a suit so I can go to the funeral. I want to look right, but we haven't really thought too much about what we're doing, what it means. But boy, when it's time to celebrate a a fleeting holiday or sporting event, we go all out. (laughs) Our emotions are just so, so out of whack because we're trying to make things that are fleeting permanent and those things which are showing us our finality to be insignificant that we can kind of pretend they're not happening. The Bible shows us where our emotions need to be corrected. Sometimes we want to avoid grief or pain. We don't see how these can be helpful, and yet they are helpful in that they show us our vulnerability, they show us our frailty, and they remind us of our need. Do you see that in grief? Do you see that in sadness? When there's loss, when there's finality, the need. And God says, I am a father to those who grieve. But brothers and sisters, let me add this. When we show our emotions, they ought to be emotions that show our love for the person. Whether that's, we could, we could spend some time looking at, fun- at weddings. When we celebrate, let it be something that is a celebration to show our love. Or, or when it is at funerals, that it is, we shed tears. It's testament to how much we love them. Let the world see that. It's a, it's a grief that doesn't descend to despair. And in the opposite, where we're celebrating, it isn't a celebration that leads to a raucous debauchery. But it is emotions. There are emotions fed by love 
Remember when Jesus wept at Lazarus' death, what did the people say? See how much he loved him. Now it's true that also his weeping was a, was a, a strong emotion to the effects of sin and how it was disruptive of God's good creation, this, this curse of death. But it certainly showed his love. And that ought to be what is displayed in our emotions too. Not distorted, but a love for expressing the depth of relationship. The reality of death isn't, it doesn't mean that we should be distant from others. God makes us for fellowship. Joseph was, we can be sure, was troubled by how many years he was separated from his father and he rejoiced when he saw him again. How hard it must have been for him to part with his father's body. Well, when death and grief come near, it's hard to imagine that joy could return, but I want to think with you about how that happens this morning. Before Jacob dies, what does he say to his sons there in verse 29? I am to be gathered to my people. Let's think about that for a few moments. I am to be gathered to my people. It was said of Abraham, it was said of Isaac as well, that they were gathered to their people. This is the believer's confidence in the face of death. God doesn't leave us alone. This is a word that comforts us when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. This word pulls us out of the valley of grief. This word guides us to the promises of God that we might not grieve as those without hope. We can have joy in knowing where our loved ones are. Jacob says, I will be gathered to my people the future destination of the believer. What does that mean? What are some of the things that we, can, that we can consider that means for us and how can we be comforted and strengthened this morning? First, our loved ones who have died in faith have put off their physical bodies, but they're not dead. They're not asleep. They're alive in Christ before the throne of God. Jesus said to those who denied the resurrection, you do not understand the scriptures. When Moses spoke of the Lord, he called him the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. All live before him. We have that hymn, don't we? By the sea of crystal, saints in glory stand, myriads in number, drawn from every land, robed in white apparel, washed in Jesus' blood. There they reign in heaven with the Lamb of God. They're alive. More alive to God than they were ever alive to him here. That should give us reason to move on from grief to joy and gratitude. Well, secondly, they're washed in Jesus' blood. What does that mean? That means they're free from sin and pain and suffering, glorying in the God of life. It's not cliche to say at a funeral of a believing loved one, they're in a better place. It's true. Now, we may say that rather thoughtlessly. We may say that that's kind of the phrase that we use. Well, they're in a better place. But it's true. What does Paul say when he compares his life now and, and, and the life to come? He says, I, I desire to depart and be, be with Christ, which is what? Better by far. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul isn't invested here, that he's just thinking about 
that place, but he knows that what's coming is more, he says then to the Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. That's what we can hold on to. That's, that's how we can move from, from grief to joy. That's how we can carry on. He says that when we are absent from the body, we are what? At home with the Lord. Not, not, not often some, some, some black, vague place, but at home with the Lord. In the Christian view of dying is no more individualistic than the Christian view of life. We don't, we don't live for ourselves. That's very clear. It's over and over again. But we also don't die and then, and then move to some, some solitary place. We're gathered to our people, to other believers, there before the throne of God in heaven. What a wonderful thought. Death for the Christian is not entrance into aloneness. It's being ushered into the communion of the saints. The communion of the saints, what? Perfected. No more frictions with one another. No more disagreements or painful misunderstandings. Only peace and harmony and unity and joy. What a wonderful thought. I don't like friction. I don't like conflict. It's unfortunate when it gets brought up, when it is created and fed. We should put an end to it. How quickly we get offended today. How quickly... This will all be gone in heaven. What a, what a wonderful reality to look forward to. Do you look forward to that? If we don't enjoy gathering together with the saints, you don't enjoy gathering together with the saints now, what makes you think you'll enjoy it for eternity? Think about that. Ask God to help you to see the gift of Christian fellowship, the importance of corporate worship. The world understood what it was missing. If the world understood what was making it miserable, it would be beating down the doors to come in. It wouldn't be attending all of these events, spending large amounts of money trying to pretend that this must be somehow valuable. Being gathered together with God's people ought to thrill us. When I was thinking of this sermon too, another title that came to my mind of of potential title was, what is your identity? Can you say with Jacob, I'm going to be gathered to my people? Is that who I identify with? With the saints, with God's people? Or am I in some other group spending all kinds of money uh, 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 following, pursuing all kinds of other vain pursuits? I'm going to go to my people. With whom do you identify? That's a question that helps prepare a person for the end of life. And to live now together in joy 
for Christ, building one another up, encouraging one another. Mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is a resurrection, and that is the reason we rejoice. The reason we have joy. Let me just read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. How important it is to know what the Scriptures teach. Tonight we're going to hear it again. I encourage you to be here, to hear the Word preached. It is essential to your life. Not secondary Paul goes on, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul goes on to talk about what the believer's body is going to look like, the resurrected believer's body. That's beyond the scope of the sermon this morning. We have all kinds of thoughts. What's it going to be like? What's it going to look like? How are we going to experience new life and new bodies? Exciting to think about. But what I want us to see this morning is the Bible speaks of life beyond the grave. Christ is alive. The saint is alive. Those who have ended their earthly sojourn of faith are alive waiting for these glorified bodies which we will put on at that coming day. For Christians, the final word is not death, but resurrection. Paul says that to the Thessalonians. I've already alluded to that. Let me read some verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't deny death, but we look beyond it. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who, fo- who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged, dear people of God, as you think about this span of life and moving on. Joseph, 
buried his father, returned to Egypt with his brothers. What an act of faith to go back there to, to Egypt, to, to live there, and, and to, to yearn, to want to go, to be, and to stay in Canaan. What a yearning he must have had. That was, a, it was 39 years between when he left and when he returned. And yet he returned after he had buried his father, confident that the Lord was going to use him to serve there and then until he called him home. That, that's, how we, that's how we press on. We're not, we're not left behind. God's numbered our days. I pray that you might be able to look beyond death to the resurrection, that you might yearn to be a part of the people of God, that you would be actively a part of the people of God now, serving, loving, sharing in your emotions with others, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Those apart from him will be raised. They'll be raised to the second death, Revelation 20 tells us. But those in Christ look forward to glory. We give thanks to God for those promises. We take them to heart so that we might be able to move from grief to glory, from grief to joy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for treating us so gently for ministering to us so effectively, for sanctifying us so thoroughly. When we are weak, Lord, then we are strong. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness, and there are many times when we feel very weak. We don't like to be reminded of weakness and vulnerability. We don't like to be reminded of finiteness and the end. But when we do consider these things, Lord, may they Make us all the more committed to living for you right now while we live. May we be comforted when we consider these things, knowing the promises that you give to those who die in the Lord, that they are with you. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We are so thankful for those words. Comfort us with them. Send us forth with strength by them as you work in us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.